0: Thank you, kids, so much. Uh, children can be dismissed to children's church. So those are that age. Um, I just love seeing this. I love seeing kids sing. Uh, thank you, Randy, for leading them uh, and everything you do on Wednesday night, or Sunday nights with the Awana kids. Uh, thank you to all you guys that, that work with, with these kids, um, week in, week out. Um, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, all of that, Uh, all the different things. And the nursery workers, especially, thank you, because that means I don't have to have my child sitting on my lap during the service. Um, Which, on that note, uh, we are uh, looking for uh, a few more nursery workers, uh, specifically uh, for for Sundays, uh, but nursery workers just in general, uh, as well as Children's Church. Um, So, if you would like to help out uh, with this wonderful group of uh, children, uh, you can see me, you can see uh, Danielle Pridgeon for Children's Church, or uh, Lori Carver with the nursery, because uh, if you come to me, I'm probably just going to point you to one of them, so uh, you can cut me out of that one and, and, and point you there, um, but anyway, I love seeing this, uh, you know, a lot of people say uh, the kids, the teenagers, you know, they're the church of tomorrow, uh, which, you know, I get what everybody's saying about that, but they're the church today too, right, uh, you can see that already, you know, leading us in worship, Um, I love that. I love seeing that. And I love uh, working with kids and teenagers and and seeing all that. It's awesome. Um, But yes, we had a great time uh, with Lagos and Lego. Uh, The adults had a great time too. Uh, Had a little trouble uh, prying Pastor Jeremy and Dr. Shook away from the Lego buckets, saying it's time to clean up. Um, But uh, it was great. Somebody, I think it was kind of mentioned a little bit, but look around. What, What do you guys think the story was that we read to them? Yesterday, does anybody have a guess? What was it? Okay, yeah, the Christmas story, right? It's perfect. Today's Palm Sunday, so we read an Easter, a Christmas story, right? It, it works, right? No, but that that really is. Jeremy and I were talking about that when we were trying to figure that out, and we we were thinking, okay, you know, Easter, Palm Sunday, all of that, you know, what what, what story should we read them? And we're like, oh, Christmas, right? You know, it makes sense. No, but but Christmas only makes sense because of because of Easter right? It's only a big deal that he came to earth as a baby because the reason he came was what we're going to celebrate uh, next Sunday. You know, he came to die uh, and rise again. Um, and and we're, we're so happy about that. You know, so, so Christmas is only a big deal because of Easter, um, and, and I know our, our kids' Sunday school classes have been, been talking a lot about that recently, you know, appropriately, because it's, you know, Easter time, we're getting into that season, you know, spring, all of that. Uh, I don't know how many times my daughters come home, you know, waving a palm branch saying Hosanna, um, right? Because that's Palm Sunday. So, we're going to be looking at that uh, today, actually. So, so flip over, open your Bibles to Matthew 21, um, since it is, it is Palm Sunday. Um, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Uh, And we're going to jump around a little bit, um, but I just want to set the stage as you guys are flipping. Let's set the stage for what's going on, okay? Uh, It's the week before Easter, right? Palm Sunday, uh, the triumphal entry, right? Um, And just historically, when you're looking at that, you, you kind of need to know everything that's going on, right? Okay, first of all, like we were talking in our Sunday school class this morning, okay? It's Passover week, right? So everybody's going to Jerusalem. Um, everybody's going to celebrate Passover. So that that's all taking place. Um, but Jesus has been in his ministry for three years. Uh, going through teaching, doing miracles, have this big following. Um, and there's kind of this tension, right, going on, kind of a battle between Jesus and the religious leaders. Um, not that Jesus is, you know, seeking out a battle, but the religious leaders, they just keep getting more and more upset with him. Um, and, and so that tension is there, but all the people are really excited because they know he's going to Jerusalem. Right, because he'd kind of been off the scene. If you study through that through the Gospels, you see he'd kind of been staying staying out of the way, keeping more quiet in the the second half of his ministry. And so finally, he's coming back out and making a big trip down to Jerusalem. Everybody knows it. It's Passover. They're really excited. Uh, but there's some other reasons they're really excited. Is because obviously they they don't like the Romans, uh, and they they believe that Jesus in their minds. He could be the Messiah, right? Uh, And the Messiah is prophesied to to save us. He's going to be our savior. He's going to be, you know, like King David, he's going to sit on the throne. And so they're really excited about that. That's what their minds are at. Uh, So all of these people are thinking that. And then we come to uh, Matthew 21, where Jesus actually makes his triumphal entry. Uh, and today what we're going to do is we're going to look at some different reactions of the people. We're not going to go too deep into you know, what, what the people were thinking and what actually happened on, uh, the, at the triumphant entry on Palm Sunday. but We're going to look at what the people were thinking and their different reactions, because you see really three different reactions. So the first one is the one we always think of with the triumphal entry. Uh, so let's read that. Matthew 21. Says now, when they drew near Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage, at the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied, and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying. Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come unto Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. All right, so, so as we're reading this story, you know, obviously we can pick out some different things. There's a lot of things happening, a lot of things going on. Um, you've got Jesus and he, he, he gets on this donkey and he's coming in. There's a big crowd, right? And we could talk about the, the miracle that it is, you know, the, the, the cult would, would sit still and let Jesus ride him. Uh, it says that the, the donkey, the mother, was, was there with it, you know, kind of helping it along. But we could talk about that. Um, we could talk about you know, the palm branches and the symbolism there. But, but let's hone in on this. Okay, There's all these people right? And they're, they're looking for their Messiah. This is the, the height of the, the messianic fervor, right? You know, they're all really excited that Jesus is coming. They think he could be coming to overthrow Rome, right? And that's what they're hoping. So, they're saying, Hosanna, right? Uh, which means, you know, save us or save now. And they're waving these palm branches. Um, and and it, it really helps us that Matthew, when he's, when he's writing this, he, he uh He pulls out the prophecy from Zechariah, and we've got that quote about Jesus riding on the colt, on the the donkey, uh, as he's coming in. And to help us understand that, we kind of need to look at the bigger context of that quote. Um, So, listen to this from Zechariah 9 is where that's coming from, if you want to flip there. Zechariah 9 is where Matthew pulls this quote about the donkey. He says rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Right? And that's where our quote ends. But in Zechariah, it, he keeps going. He says I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Right? So, Zechariah in this prophecy, right? You know, the Old Testament prophets, uh, they they'd prophesy a, a future event and, and pair that a lot of times with a, a, a closer event that was happening sooner, uh, usually with a message of judgment and, and calling people to repentance. So, when Zechariah is giving this, he's talking about the Messiah who's going to come. You know, he's telling them judgment is coming. Um, and you're you're facing all of these opposition. All of these people are coming in and fighting you, and you've got to have your, your battle bow ready because people are coming in and going to invade Israel. But the Messiah eventually will come, and this is how he's going to come. So, he gives us this prophecy, but with it, he says, the Messiah is going to bring peace, right? He says, he's going to cut off the chariot. He's going to break the battle bow. He'll speak peace to the nations His dominion will be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. So, the the Jews are thinking, they know all of these thoughts about the the prophecies of their Messiah, and they know he's going to come and he's going to bring peace. And they're excited about that because they're thinking he's going to, you know, kick the Romans out, he's going to defeat them, he's going to overthrow, you know, Caesar, he's going to come in and set up his kingdom, we're going to be great, we're going to have peace, our king is here, this is awesome, Right? But well, the problem is this is only partially fulfilled when Jesus came. And we see that a lot with a lot of these prophecies that, that were filled, fulfilled with Jesus, but they've got a future aspect to them, right? Um, and even as you study some of the things that the, the Jewish rabbis would teach, and even some of them you know, now will, will teach some of these things, uh, you'll hear them talk about two messiahs, um, which we as Christians were like, Jesus was the messiah, we get it, right? They look at that and they, they think of their Messiah, the son of David, who is going to come, the conquering king. He's going to take over, give us peace. He's going to give our nation, set up the kingdom. It's going to be awesome. And then they talk about the Messiah, the son of Joseph is what they'd call him. And he's the one from you know, Isaiah 53 uh, who was beaten and bruised and crushed for our iniquities, uh, the suffering Messiah. So they would kind of teach this, two different ones. They were a little confused. They thought there were two different messiahs coming. One to, you know, suffer and one to set up their kingdom. You know, they loved to talk about the one that was going to come and set up their kingdom because they love that. They love, we, we all love, right? You know, a good good action movie, a good, you know, kick some tail, knock the Romans out, set up a kingdom. We like it, right? You know, king sitting on the throne. We don't like to talk about, you know, suffering. Um, so, so they kind of focused on that one. Um, but what we find out now is that really is one Messiah who's, who's coming twice. Uh, and, and we'll get into that in a second, but this was only partially fulfilled. Jesus came, and if the Jews had accepted him, he could have, you know, set up the kingdom and all of that, but the Jews didn't accept him, right? They were wanting that, that conquering king, bringing political peace, but he was bringing the, the peace to their souls that they really needed more than anything. Um, so, so, we see their reaction, you know, they're, they're excited. They're, they're talking about, um, you know, the, the Messiah who's coming, and they're saying, save us. They're putting their cloaks down, um, which that was a sign of, you know, submission to the king. Uh, if you read through in 2 in Kings, they actually do that when, uh, I believe it was Joash was crowned king. All of the people took their cloaks and put it on the stairs as he walked up uh, to, the, to, the, um, to the temple. Uh, so they were showing submission and that's what they were thinking. They were thinking political when Jesus was coming and offering spiritual. And we see a little later in this passage, um, or really in Matthew 23, if you keep going with the story, that, that Jesus you know, kind of makes note of the fact that they were looking for the wrong type of Messiah. They were looking for this political Messiah. In Matthew 23, Jesus is talking and he's crying. It doesn't say he's crying, but I imagine him crying. Matthew 23, verse verse 37. He says, "'O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate.'" For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So he realizes, you know, he's quoting what they said. He's quoting from, uh, it's actually from a song. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? They said that when he came in and here two chapters later, he's saying to them, you just don't get it. You're looking for what I can give you what you can get out of me, right? You're not looking for, you know, you're not trying to worship me. You're not trying to, to, you don't realize that I'm coming to bring you spiritual peace to to save you from your sins. He said, you won't see me anymore until you you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That time is still future when Jesus is going to come back and everybody realizes that he is the conquering king coming. He is their savior. And then they'll say it again, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Um, but that's all they were looking at. They were looking at him saying, hey, you know, what can we get out of you? You know, what are you going to give us? What's in it for me? Right. They, they wanted that, that political. They, they wanted that. Um, and a lot of times we kind of look at that like we look at our churches that way, you know, by and large in America, we look at our churches that way. We say, you know, what, what can a church give me? We, we look at Jesus and we're, our prayers are so shallow and it's all, what can you give me, God? What can you do to, for me? Heal my you know sick cat who broke a leg and has cancer. You know it's, like, it's all about what Jesus can do for us when really we should be worshiping Him and praising Him for what He already has done for us um, in, in going to the cross and dying for our sins. So the people were just confused. You know, they, 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 they recognized a little bit that he was their Messiah, but they didn't quite get it. They didn't quite get it. Um, but there are some other things going on. You know, that's what we focus on at, at Palm Sunday, right? You know, the, the actual triumphant entry, Jesus coming in, the palm branches, Hosanna, all of that. Um, but there's some other things going on before Jesus actually gets on the donkey and comes into Jerusalem. Uh, so you're, if you're in Matthew 21, go one chapter earlier, because Jesus has really been speaking a lot to his death and prophesying his death. He's been training his disciples. So we're going to look at some of the things going through the minds of the disciples. Look at verse 17. Verse Matthew 20, 17, Jesus says, Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Now, just see, this is right before he's going in. He's in that traveling, going to Passover, has his disciples, and he takes them aside from the rest of the crowd. Verse 18, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And the third day he will rise again pretty clear, right? What's going to happen. He makes it pretty clear. Look, guys, I'm going, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. But look what what happens right next. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John, came to him with her sons, kneeling down and, and asking something from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, grant that these two sons of mine, may sit one on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, We are able. So he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right and on my left is not mine to give. But is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And then when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over you, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave." just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give His life a ransom for many. Now, I know I read a big chunk there, right? But I wanted us to see that context there. Okay, very clear. They're going to Jerusalem. Jesus says, look, guys, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified, but I'm going to rise again the third day. Very clear. Well, then the mother of James and John come up, and what does she ask? hey, can my sons sit on your right and left hand and be you know, the, the most prominent members of your council in the kingdom? That's what she's thinking, just like the people. They're thinking political, right? Jesus is there teaching his disciples and telling them, which we kind of get from the, the context in other gospels, that, that it was kind of James and John, you know, people discuss whether the mother wanted them to do it or or the boys asked their mom to go talk to Jesus, whichever way they're asking for this position, right? They want to lord it over, like Jesus says, the, the people around them. They want to be in charge. They want to be in authority. They're looking to see what they can get out of Jesus too. Their relationship with Jesus gets some power and authority, right? That's what they want. And so they totally missed what Jesus said, right? I kind of think of it this way. Um, when a little kid, you tell them something and you tell them two things and they, they, they forget the one thing they don't want to hear and they focus on the thing they like to hear, right? Uh, our daughter, okay, she's, she's two years old, right? We'll give her a pass on this, but still, uh, she's a two-year-old, right? And so she, one track mind, right? When we lived in Winston-Salem, our apartment complex had this nice big open field, it would be perfect for a playground. They started building something and we're like, Awesome. They built a dog park, okay? No playground, okay? We, we had no place to take our daughter to play in the playground. It was just like this open field next to the dog park. Uh, so we move here and there's a playground. So what do you think she asks every day at lunchtime? Can I go to the playground, right? It, without fail, all the time. Can I go to the playground? Can we go to the playground? It's like pouring rain. Can I go to the playground? No, okay? And at lunchtime, you know, it'll be a sunny, beautiful day. Can I go to the playground? And we'll say, we can go to the playground after nap time, right? Because it's lunch and nap, then we can go play. Okay, so we say this to her. Uh, what does she hear? She hears playground. We, let me go put my shoes on. We're going out to the playground, right? This is kind of how I see the, the disciples a little bit, okay? Uh, acting like two year olds. Um, which Jesus says to them, yes, I'm the king. Yes, I'm the Messiah. I'm coming to set up my kingdom. Um, at one point he did tell them earlier, you will rule and reign with me on 12 thrones, ruling over the 12 tribes of Israel. But first I'm going to Jerusalem to be delivered into the hands of the Pharisees, to be crucified, but I'll rise again on the third day. What did they hear? Thrones, kingdom, right? They heard what they want to hear. Um, and so that's, that's what, how we see them, you know, right here coming up to the, the pivotal moment in all of history, Jesus dying for our sins on the cross. And, and James and John are looking to get that position at his right, right and left hand. They're like, which throne of those 12 are we going to be on? That's what they're focused on. That was their focus. And we see from the other 10, They were focused on that too, because as soon as they heard this little side conversation, they all, it says, uh, they're greatly displeased. Uh, In one translation, it says they were indignant, you know, they're ticked off. They're mad. They're like, I wanted to ask that. They beat me to it. Um, You know, and and it kind of gives that hint of they kind of thought Jesus gave it to them when he said no. So what is Jesus saying? It says there at the end, verse 27 or 26, Whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the son of man, talking about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. He kind of does this redirect, right? They're saying, we want this power, we want this authority. And he's like, no, focus on serving others, right? Focus on serving others, which we Again, you know, we kind of have that tendency as much as we, we beat down the disciples when we're reading these stories, you know, we're just like we beat down the Israelites when we're talking about all the things they did during their wilderness wanderings and all of that. We kind of have those same tendencies, right? We're human and we do that too. We have a sin nature. A lot of times we, we, we realize Jesus saved us from our sins. We believe him. We're, we're saved. We're going to heaven. Um, but a lot of times we take that and we, we kind of use that to our advantage you know, how often you see people, you know, calling out sinners and their sin, which, yeah, there's a, there's a place for that, calling sin what it is. But we, we a lot of times think, you know, if you were a Christian, if you were a good Christian, you would do this, that, and the other thing, to realize none of us are good Christians. None of us are good. Um, I, was, I was teaching on Wednesday night, and, and I made the kids over and over again, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That means everybody. Everybody has sinned. And we, a lot of times, like to take that position that we have as, as our relationship with Jesus, which one day we, too, will be ruling and reigning with Him if we're believers. Um, but we need to realize, you know, that makes us servants. We're, we're messengers of the gospel. We share that with other people. Not to tell them how bad of a sinner they are, but to sympathize with them and point them to the place where we found peace for our souls. Um, So the disciples, they kind of got it a little bit better than the people, but they weren't quite there with understanding what was going on on Palm Sunday, because they were still focused on the kingdom, their position, what that was going to mean for them. But there's one other thing, and and there's two different stories. I want to read them both, because they kind of give a little bit more information. The first one Let's go to Matthew 26. And you see, we're, we're flipping a ways down. Um, but the way Matthew sets this up is he does it right there in, in the whole time of Judas um, and, and his betrayal. Because this event is kind of what sparks that, you know, it's the, the straw that broke the camel's back. It kind of sparks that in Judas and really gives him that thought to go betray Jesus. So Matthew puts it there kind of as this parenthetical, like, hey, you remember this happened? That's why he's doing what I'm about to tell you. Where I'll read it, uh, the, the account in John. He puts it right here the night before the triumphant entry, and that's when it happened. Um, so, in Matthew 26, look at verse 6. It says, when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster va- flask of very costly fragrant oil. And she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when the disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, why this waste? That's that same word, right? They were indignant. Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not have always. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a testimony to her. Now, in in John, John has a little bit shorter, but he gives us a little bit more information about it. Uh, I'll just read it for you real quick. It says, Then six days before Passover, so that gives us the time frame, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus who was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrant oil. fragrance of the oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box. And he used to take what was in it. But Jesus said, Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always. But me, you do not have always. All right, so you've got these, these two accounts. They kind of put them together and we get a, a fuller picture of what's going on. Okay, this is the day before the triumphant entry. Uh, if you're studying Passover week and all of the different moving parts that are happening, um, you know, everybody is, is you know, going down from Galilee to Jerusalem for Passover, right? So everybody's really hurrying trying to get into the city before Sabbath. Okay. That's Saturday. Well, Jesus takes the the time and stops in Bethany, a walking distance from Jerusalem. And so he stops there. He's got friends. He can stay at their house, right? With his disciples. It's Lazarus who was raised from the dead with Mary and Martha. Um, And so he's there. And then they've got the Sabbath. They're not supposed to travel and do all this work and all of that. So they've got the Sabbath. Then that evening... You know, once the sun sets, it's not Sabbath anymore. So sun sets and they have this big party, right? They're they're all excited. Everybody's here. It's Passover. Our friends are here. Let's have a party. And so that's what's happening. Um, It's at the house of Simon the leper. Now, as as we kind of read this, some people get confused between two different accounts. Um, There's one in Luke where they're at the house of Simon the Pharisee and a woman who was a sinner, okay, uh, former prostitute probably, uh, we get the idea, comes in and cries on Jesus' feet and wipes it with her hair and all of that. This is a different happening, okay? Don't get those two confused. This is Simon, the former leper whom Jesus had healed, and you've got Mary, Martha, Lazarus, the 12 disciples, and Jesus, and they're all there. And we see, you know, it's in John, John gets it right, you know, Martha's serving, right? We're, we're used to, Martha's serving, running around, and where's Mary? At the feet of Jesus, right? Every time Mary is mentioned, she's at the feet of Jesus. You know, you've got that, the classic story, the Mary-Martha, Mary's serving, or Martha's serving, and Mary's at the feet of Jesus, and Martha calls her out and says, hey, she's supposed to be serving, right? And Jesus says, no, she's, she's chosen the better thing, to sit at my feet. When, when Lazarus uh, had died right before he's raised, Mary comes up and falls at the feet of Jesus, right? And here we see her worshiping at the feet of Jesus. And this is what's awesome, is that Mary, of all of these people, you've got the 12 disciples who were with him day in and day out for over three years. You've got this crowd of people. You've got all of these friends of Jesus. Nobody got it, except for Mary. Probably, because she had spent the time to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen and worship. And she got it, right? It says she takes this this oil that was super costly and pours it on his body. And Jesus says, she's preparing my body for burial, right? Uh, it, if you read after the, the, the resurrection accounts, there's a bunch of different Marys, right, that all go to the tomb because Jesus is in the tomb and he's over here, and, and they've got to go after the Sabbath and, and, and you know, put the spices on his body because they didn't have time to do it before Sabbath, right? And they didn't want to be unclean and touch a dead body, all of this stuff, okay? You read who's there, Mary, this Mary, Mary of Bethany, is not one of the ones that goes to the tomb on Sunday morning because she already knew, right? The, the prophecy in, in the book of Psalms, Psalm sixteen ten. for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. She was sitting there listening to everything Jesus said, and he said three days later, he's going to rise again. She knew the prophecy. She heard what Jesus said. She was listening to just what he said. She wasn't adding anything else to it, wasn't put superimposing her own ideas about what the Messiah was supposed to be. She just listened and worshiped. And so she didn't go to the tomb on Sunday because she knew she, he wasn't going to be there. And since she knew she wasn't going to have a chance to prepare his body and worship, you know, and, and reverence him that way, she pours this oil on his body a week earlier. And Jesus recognized that. He, he says it. You know, she knew she's preparing my body. There's something else here is that, that how costly that was. John actually tells us, you know, 300 denarii, which a denarii was uh, a day's wage for an average working person at that time. So 300, almost a year's worth of money. Okay, think whatever your year's salary is. Okay, just think of that. That's about how much this thing cost her and she poured the whole thing out, whole pound of oil on his feet. And another passage says on his head too, right? And the fragrance filled the house, said. And the people are saying, hey, you're wasting it, right? Judas, because he has ulterior motives, right? But they're saying, you're wasting this. But she realized she was just worshiping. It reminds me of, of when David uh, was told to be making a sacrifice, And he says in 2 Samuel 24, Then the king said to, I don't know how to say that name, Arana, No, but I will surely buy it from you. Right? He wanted to give him the field, give him the wood to do this sacrifice. And David says, No, I will surely buy it from you for a price. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. Mary was willing to sacrifice for her worship. It wasn't just some, you know, cheesy thing that we, eh, we'll give this to God, right? We'll give this to the missionaries. They don't have anything better, right? Um, I could say that. I was a missionary kid growing up. But uh, we should give God our best. That's what Mary did. She was sitting there worshiping. She was at the feet of Jesus constantly. She got it. And so she worshiped. She sacrificed for her worship. And she understood why Jesus was coming. And because she knew that, her reaction was to worship her Savior. So let's think about us. You know, I've kind of gone as we go and, and pulled some applications out. But a lot of times we're, we're like one of the first two groups where we kind of superimpose our own ideas over what the Bible tells us, right? We, we come to church to get something out of it. We, we pray to Jesus to get something out of we want We want answers to prayer. We want miracles. We want all this stuff. But what does Jesus want? He wants us to worship, right? We realize our King is coming. Our King is coming. So we should just worship Him. Praise Him for what He's done in your life. That's all He wants. Here we come to Easter and we, we can look back and remember the gospel. We can remember Christ dying on the cross for our sins and the resurrection that tells us that payment has cleared. And He's paid that price. It's, it's enough. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe, right? That, that costly oil right? We should just worship. Worship God for who He is, who He really is, and what He's done. When I was thinking this morning about about this, I just want to close with this thought. You know, there are three times really you can get in the Bible, one of which future, where we had kind of a a triumphal entry, right? Uh, The first is Christmas, right? we've got our nice little Lego creations. The triumphal entry of Jesus as a baby, He came as a baby, there were angels, it was great, there was a star in the sky. Nobody really knew about him, right? Except for the shepherds and three wise men, three-ish, you know? Uh, That's all who came to worship Jesus, that's all who knew. Nobody really knew about Jesus, but that that was a triumphal entry, right? Then we've got the one that we call, you know, on Palm Sunday, we call the triumphant entry. You know, Jesus coming in and everybody knew about it but nobody really got it. Nobody really understood. And then one day, future still, Jesus will have a triumphant entry and you better believe everybody's going to know about it and everybody's going to get it. Flip to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter two. Whole chapter is great, but let's start at seven. Philippians two, seven. Paul, as he's talking about Jesus, going through and his his humility and his example, he says in verse seven, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. where every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's worship. One day we're going to be worshiping Him whether we want to or not. (laughs) We're going to realize who He really is. Everybody, saved or unsaved, their knee will bow. So right now we have the opportunity. We can bow our knee and worship our King not because he's going to bring us political peace, even though he will one day, but because he's brought us spiritual peace. And that's what really matters.